Hey, church family. Uh, looking forward to opening the scriptures with you uh, today. Vocational discipleship. I know that uh, you probably would love to hear about vacational discipleship because lots of you are away right now, but um, we're actually looking at vocation, which is uh, an another way to understand it would be faith in the workplace. Uh, maybe you've asked the question from time to time, what does it look like to take my faith into the workplace? Uh, what does it look like to have my faith inform uh, my life in the workplace? Uh, I remember when I was a young guy, I was about 17 or so, uh, I was working for my dad's cleaning company, and uh, we got a job out in the town of Chilliwack, because we didn't live here at the time, and the job was to clean the crawl space of a school building called A.D. Rundell. Maybe you've heard of that school. <laughs> my dad partnered me up with an older uh, guy named Roger, and uh, Roger's job was to blow dust out of the crawl space into a 10-inch vacuum hose, which went into our truck. Uh, and my job, I had the privilege of climbing into the dirty, dark crawl space to uh, clean up webs and thick dust that wouldn't go into the air. Now, you gotta remember, I have a spider fear. Uh, I also found some dead rats down there. Um, this was a high honor, and you can just imagine this this is what I wanted to be doing with my life. When I was 17, uh, doing this, I remember being down in this crawl space, and I remember looking up to heaven and saying, thank you, Lord. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what I was really saying was, Lord, why am I here? <laughs> and maybe, maybe you've wondered that in your job at times. Lord, why am I here? Uh, is, this, is this what you have for me? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, when it comes to faith in the workplace, there's lots of problems and questions uh, that arise for us. There's questions about purpose. Uh, what does God want me to do and to be? Uh, there's questions about meaning. Uh, does my current work matter to God? Does it matter in the kingdom? There's questions of theology. Uh, what do we mean faith at work? Does that mean sharing the gospel all day long? Uh, there's questions about role. I thought it was pastor's jobs to do faith work, and everyone else just does regular work. Uh, today we want to look at some of these questions and answer some of these things by looking at God's word uh, to see uh, more on this topic of faith and work, vocational discipleship, taking Jesus, taking our faith into our vocation. So we're going to look at four things uh, today. First thing we're gonna look at is that we need to know our identity in Christ. If we're gonna become vocational disciples, we need to know our identity in Christ. Number two, we're gonna talk about embracing our role in the church. Uh, three, adjusting our attitude at work, toward work. And number four, we're gonna look at fulfilling our calling uh, to society. So again, what do we mean by vocational discipleship? Well, in the book that we've been looking at, Faith for Exiles, there's a definition they have in there, and it's a really good one. Here's what it says. It says, vocational discipleship means knowing and living God's calling, understanding what we are made to do, especially in the arena of work, and right-sizing our ambitions to God's purposes. Now, that's a mouthful of stuff, but essentially, it's, again, living out our faith in the workplace the word vocation is a great word because it combines the idea of work and our calling. 
A vocation is more than an occupation. It is a sense of purpose in our work. Our heart is involved. We, we sense that the work that we're doing is meaningful. Uh, vocational discipleship is aligning that meaningful work uh, with the purposes of God. In the Barna study that we've been kind of looking at over the last few weeks, where they uh, did stats from uh, people who were 18 to 29, answered a, a whole set of questions, and they put together a graph on a theology of work and calling. What, what are young people's understanding of their faith and, and their work and how those things um, marry with each other? So here's what they found, that resilient disciples uh, were very God-centered in their view of work and calling. Uh, they believed that integrity in the workplace matters. Three-quarters of them said their churches help them to live out their faith in the workplace. Our resilient disciples don't distinguish between the sacred and the secular so much. Uh, they're more satisfied with their careers. So in other words, a, a resilient disciple is someone who shifted their focus, uh, as Jeremy Treat says, from occupation to vocation, from personal gain to the common good, and from a narrow to a holistic view of work. So how can we make that shift as well? Uh, let's look at point number one. We need to, for, for starters, know our identity in Christ. Uh, we've been studying through 1 Peter, and, and so far in his letter, he's reminded us as believers that we're called, uh, we're chosen out of the world to be exiles to a fallen world because we've been born again to a new reality. This has happened through the, the precious and the shed blood of Christ on our behalf. We belong to him now. We're his children, called to be a holy nation. And he says that we've all been given a common job, and that is the job of a priest. In 1 Peter 2, verse 5, he says, we're a holy priesthood. And then in verse 9, he repeats it and says, we're a royal priesthood. So simply put, a, a priest in the Old Testament stood in the gap for others. Priests served as a dual function. Uh, they represented God to others, and that was through teaching God's law, the Torah. And they were to bring people's needs to God through prayer and animal sacrifice. Now, under the kingdom of Jesus, uh, all God's children are priests. Uh, throughout church history, this has been known as the priesthood of all believers. All believers in the church are priests. And that's who you are as a Christian. You're a priest to the world. You represent God to the world, and you bring people's needs to God. Uh, let me live, give a little bit of clarity about this, because you may have seen this video going around this last week of this uh, church down in California doing this weird Lord of the Rings ritual on stage. And they were doing it to, to they claimed to end racism through this ritual. Now, if you saw that video, maybe you didn't, you're probably going to Google it later. Um, you'll, it was very strange, but one of the things they said in the video was that they had the authority of priests and kings. Now, in this view, uh, we, it's viewing priesthood as the same as God's authority. But in Scripture, we're going to find out that's not the kind of authority that we have. We share some attributes of priesthood with, uh, with God, but we do not have the same authority that God has we have a creature and creator distinction. 
If the Bible says you're a priest, you have to remember there's still a high priest, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only true high priest who reconciles the world to God through his death and his resurrection. So our job as disciples is similar, but it's very different. Uh, one pastor put it really great. He's a guy named Jared Wilson, and uh, he was preaching one day at a church, and, and a guy came up to him, and he said to him this. He said, so you're the preacher, huh? Yes, Jared said. So you're the guy with all the answers, this guy said to Jared. No, said Jared. I'm the guy who points to that guy. And I think that sentiment there is what we're talking about with priesthood. We are the people who point to Jesus. That is our role as priests. So we don't have the same authority that God has. We are the ones who point to the one who really has authority. In the morning, when we wake up, this is why we need to practice the first practice we were looking at, experiencing intimacy with Jesus, because uh, he's the one who's going to remind us of who we are in him uh, as we go about our day and our vocation. So it begins there. Uh, secondly, though, we need to understand our role in the church. One interesting thing when we look at this Barna study again is that about a quarter of resilient disciples feel that they aren't actually getting training to live out their faith in the workplace. And if we look at this, the, the next chart here, um, we'll see that it, it's about how churches develop the, the next generation vocationally. And you can see the, the percentages start to get a lot lower on this, on this graph. Um, resilient disciples understand their purpose in life is to influence, um, but, and they understand that their, their, their gifts and their calling to some level, but is, after those first two questions, you start to see it gets down to like the 50% mark here. Only about half of resilient disciples feel that they can apply the Bible to situations at work and effectively live out their faith and only a third of habitual churchgoers, which are a greater size group overall, feel that their church is helping them in this area. And the numbers get lower from there. So what does that mean? Uh, it means that we as church leaders have to take some responsibility for the fact that people don't feel that their faith and work, that there's a connection. Um, Sometimes we don't talk enough about uh, work and calling and vocation. We, we don't validate enough the things that you're doing out there in the world. And so we have to take responsibility for that. But at the same time, there is an adjustment I think that churchgoers need to make that I think affects this. And, and there's a disconnect here. And, and it has to do with a paradigm that I think that we sort of subtly believe in our heads about what the church's job is and what what my role is in the church. And here's, here's what we think. We think that my role is to help church leaders do the work of ministry. At least a lot of us think that. My role is to help church leaders do the work of ministry. Now, if you believe that axiom, then the only day of the week that you need to think about ministry and supporting ministry is Sunday. And we call that Sunday Christianity. Uh, we compartmentalize our Sunday life to, from the rest of our life. And therefore, when we show up to work on Monday, we're not really thinking like disciples. Now, those of you who know your Bibles well, you know there's a corrective to this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12 says, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
So now we have a new paradigm. Uh, we hear this verse and we see that it actually says that the saints, that's the people in the church, they are the ones who do the work of ministry. And the pastor equips the saints to do it. So the axiom looks more like this now. The church leader's role is to equip me to do the work of ministry. Now, that's a bit better, but there's still a potential here for misunderstanding because we understand the word ministry as church work. We use the word ministry a lot in the church, but what does it really mean? Well, some translations actually have it acts of service, which I think is a lot more clear. It's a less loaded term. Uh, the pastors and the teachers equip the people of God for acts of service. That includes church work, but is not limited to church work. It is much more broad than that. It's out in the kingdom. So the axiom should really look like this. The church leader's role is to equip me to do acts of service both for the church and for the world. So what's our role as pastors and leaders? We're here to equip you uh, to do ministry out in the world. And that includes your vocation, your calling in your life. We need to help you discover your gifts and, and your calling and help equip you with sound theology, with prayer, with practical and spiritual support to use your gifts uh, to build up the body of Christ and to advance the kingdom of God. Often in our evangelical church culture, uh, we speak of pastors and missionaries only as those called into ministry. But what we're seeing here is that we're all called into ministry. We're all called. Jeremy Treat says it like this. He says, many people think of God's work in the world only in terms of spiritual salvation. The story of scripture, however, is not one of God plucking souls from a fallen creation, but God saving people as part of his renewal of creation. God is constantly at work in sustaining and renewing the world. He does most of his work through us and often works through our work. That, that is a totally different way of thinking about our work. It has value. So we need to discover our role in the body of Christ and get rid of this Sunday Christianity mindset. We need to see that God is a calling on our life. And this is actually really exciting. Thirdly, we need to adjust our attitude toward work. Now we're going to go into the work context. What, what does God call us to do while we're at work? Well, I want to split this into two kind of subpoints here. First, I want to talk to employees, if you work under authority. And then we're going to talk about employers, those who have authority over others. First, let's look at employees. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 18, we're going to read the passage. Here's what it says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a, as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters 
with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. That's a big text. <laughs> when I was uh, about 22 years old, I, I decided I was gonna leave uh, working under my parents' company, as I mentioned earlier, and I was gonna branch out and try something new. And so I got this job. Uh, I had a, a friend who had a contracting business and he got me working for his partner and we were doing siding, commercial siding. So we were uh, putting the siding on, on the sides of condo buildings and townhouses and things like that. Now, when I started the job, I was as green as they came. I had no idea what I was doing. I couldn't lift heavy tools. I had very weak arms back then. And, uh, and I still do, uh, by the way. Um, but I, I, had to, I had to saw wood. I had no idea how to do that. Um, I tried my best. But when I was criticized by the boss, because I really didn't know what I was doing, uh, I often felt misunderstood. I, I snapped back. Uh, when I was criticized, I took it personally. And I started to realize I had an authority problem. I, I didn't like people uh, criticizing me, telling me what to do, correcting me. One day, one of the other guys on the crew even noticed it, and he called it out on me. He said, hey, don't take it personally. And I realized I was having this bad attitude, and I, I began to ask the Lord to change that in me and to correct that in me so I'd have a positive attitude at work. And, and what happened was I started to actually build a solid testimony with some of the other guys I was working closely with, and it led to opportunities to share Christ's truth and his gospel with them. Now, Notice what Peter says in this line. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The word translated institution here literally means creation. It becomes clear in this context that Peter applies this to a variety of authority structures in life. He starts with government, but then he moves to work. He moves to family. He moves to church. This first line, though, is a catch-all phrase to submit to all kinds of authorities wherever they are created. Uh, the phrase can be applied to any legitimate authority structure that exists for the common good. So schools or hospitals or even a fitness group, wherever there's authorities, Peter's saying it's right that we submit ourselves to them, not for their sake, but for the Lord's sake. Peter calls us to be subject. That means to line up under. When an authority figure like an employer wants to do something that is amoral, that is, it's, it's not immoral, it, it's not wrong, um, it's just they're asking us to do something, it is, it is wrong to disobey and it is right to submit to that authority. We have to remember Peter here is saying this in a context when the Roman Emperor Nero was in power. Nero was famous for his persecution of Christians. So we can't brush off what God's word is saying about being submissive to governing authorities or to work authorities. When, when Peter mentions submitting to masters, he says that we should even submit to those who are unjust. Now the word unjust literally means crooked, not abusive. So you have a boss who doesn't do everything by the book, let's say. And you feel like you can't live under that authority. Well, Peter says you can as long as it's not compromising you. So just to be very, very clear, uh, if you are in an abusive authority relationship, whether in home or work or wherever, 
Uh, Peter's not saying that you need to submit to that. You need to continue being a punching bag or a doormat. Uh, he's, he, we would, the Bible would actually say to get out of that relationship. But as long as you're not being compromised or abused, Peter assumes you can still submit even to a crooked boss as long as you aren't doing something wrong. Your highest authority is always God. Peter himself even resisted authorities at times when it conflicted with his faith. But we can still submit in so many situations. I think about Daniel in the Old Testament when he submitted himself to King Nebuchadnezzar, who was as crooked and as sinful as they came. But Daniel managed to submit himself to the king. He even showed the king honor. He would come up to the king and say, O king, live forever. Now, I don't think Daniel actually wanted King Nebuchadnezzar to live forever, but he was showing him proper honor, an attitude of honor. And it was for his position, not because he was an awesome guy. Of course, this is not absolute submission. We even know that Daniel resisted those authorities at times. But we need to hear this because we live in a culture of dishonor. God's word challenges us as believers to live in a radical, countercultural way by honoring those in authority over us. It is through this attitude of respect that we look like Jesus and we win an audience for the gospel. Now, a quick word here about evangelism and how this ties into uh, us in the workplace. I think that given our, our post-Christian setting, and given what Peter encourages us to do as elect exiles in these passages, and given personal experience in the workplace, I think that if you are gonna do evangelism, you need to think hard about showing your faith through your actions first. So in other words, putting your deeds ahead of your words. I think that is the way to go. We need to show that we are people who honor others first and foremost. Later on in chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says it like this. He says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. I have a question for you. When's the last time someone came up to you and asked you about your faith because they were so compelled by who you were as a person, they just had to know more? See, I think for a lot of us, it's probably very rare. We need to be ready to speak the gospel to people, but are we showing people our faith through our deeds first? People have to see that our faith is real to us. They have to start to wonder about you. Are you respectful? Do you do good work? Do you have a good attitude even when things don't go your way? Are you authentic? Are you joyful? I can honestly say joy in the workplace has opened up more opportunities for the gospel for me. Not a fake joy, not a false joy. An authentic joy that is fixed in hope. And even when we get an opportunity to speak, we need to be ready. We absolutely need to be ready to share our faith, yet we need to do it with gentleness and respect, Peter says. All right, let's move on to employers. Uh, You'll notice in 1 Peter, he doesn't really talk about um, employers too much and give instructions to them, but we need to address it. And I want to help you see outside of this in, in another text 
that the Bible does speak to masters, and I think we need to, to hear this. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 9, where Paul uh, says this. First, he's going to uh, give a little bit of instruction to servants, but then listen to what he says to masters. He says it like this, chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Now listen to what he says to masters. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. If you're a Christian employer or a manager, you have oversight over others, I want you to know that God is going to hold you accountable for how you treat those people. People with oversight over others are called to a servant leadership attitude. Paul shows us how our natural tendency is to threaten those that are under our care. And he just says, stop it. He says, guess what? You actually still have a master too. And he sees everything that you're doing. God is going to hold you accountable for how you treat those under your authority. Paul says in another one of his letters that authority is meant for building up, not for tearing down. That's 2 Corinthians 13.10. That's what authority is for, is for building up, not for tearing down. I want you to hear this, Christian bosses or supervisors or whoever, because you have been given power. God calls you to have a servant heart as you lead others. Um, I remember at the same job I was telling you about earlier where I was doing this, this construction, uh, the guy who was our overseer, he was a Christian guy, fun guy, good guy in a lot of ways, but he would consistently do things that tore down the, the crew. He took all the guys out for a special brunch on Fridays. I think it was to create a, an atmosphere of camaraderie, and so that was really nice, but his behavior at these meals would often leave the guys feeling frustrated. Uh, he would try to rush through the meal because he wanted us to get back to the, the job site. And when it went slightly over time, he would announce in the middle of the meal that all of their pay was being docked. You could just see their shoulder shrug as they, he cluelessly demoralized his whole crew. And he thought that he was doing everybody a favor. Don't be that kind of boss. Serve your employees. Honor everyone. Peter says. They are human beings who work for you. Are you paying them fairly? Are you creating a good atmosphere in your business? Do people feel respected? How do your employees experience you as an overseer? Fourthly, we need to fulfill our calling to society or in society. Let's go back into the passage here in verse 15 and 16. Peter says this. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Uh, Peter reminds us again to do good. Uh, in a context of work, this means doing good work, being a good employee or employer. 
It has the effect of silencing even false accusations that may come to you in that environment. Um, I want to show you another graph here from this Barna study. Uh, it identified three types of work that most younger people are aspiring to be part of today. Uh, the first half said that they aspire to entrepreneurial jobs, so like business and marketing and finance. Another half said they wanted to be part of what they called STEM jobs, that's science, technology, engineering, and math sort of work. And a third of them said that they were interested in creative work, like design, filmmaking, music, fine arts. Now, just so you know, that's above 100%, so um, people were allowed to pick a couple of options, but this is what they chose. So what's interesting is that these three areas also um, line up really well with the three designs that God has for work. He's designed work uh, to create abundance, to cultivate abundance. He's created work to generate order, that's STEM jobs. And he's also created work for beauty, that's creative work. And here's what's cool about what Peter says in this text. He reminds Christians that they're free. <laughs> they're free. But he compels them to use their freedom to serve others. Now, what's interesting is that Peter defines God's will not as choosing the right path, but more about how you act and that you contribute to the common good. God has called us to do good in this world. And I think it is wise for you to, to choose a path, a career, a vocation, where you think you can do the most good. You are free to choose a path that best utilizes your unique gifts and talents. And you are also free to leave that job if you feel there's something better. God's will is that you do good, not necessarily a specific good. Now, when I worked construction, I was not super awesome at it. I came to realize it was not really using, best utilizing my gifts. So I got out of it. Um, I sensed that my gifts were going to be better used elsewhere. But while I did work there, it was God's will for me to do my best and to use my freedom to serve others on that job site. And when we do good, even on the hard days, when, when people even falsely accuse us, it shows those around us a different way of life, a Christ-like way of life. So look, there's a lot more to say, and today is not meant to be a final word on work and, and faith. Uh, hopefully this is just the beginning of a conversation that we can continue to have as a church. But let me pray for us, and then we'll hear the benediction. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for calling us to a holy calling. We thank you for the identity that we have in you, that we are priests to this world. Lord, I pray for all those listening today who are struggling with their job, their current job, uh, that God, you'd help them to see their work in a new way. Uh, for those who are experiencing conflict at work, Lord, I pray that you would help them develop those attitudes of honor and to see uh, conflict and peace uh, come back into their workplace. For those, Lord, who are still questioning what they're gonna do, uh, God, I just pray that you would open up opportunities for them to use their gifts so that they can contribute to the common good. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you want to win people to you uh, through our vocation and our work. Uh, would you equip us with all that we need to do it? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.